Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we'll be talking about Numbers 19 through 32, the striking of the rock and Balaam's blessing to Israel. Hey guys, welcome to FD Bible Talk. Today's episode, we're going to cover the stories from Numbers 19 through 32. And I just want to give a quick recap of last week's episode. So last week we discussed we discussed and talked about how God had arranged the Israelites in their camp and how the whole way they were arranged was to be centered around his presence at the very middle and the core of their arrangement and what that represented. We also talked about how God provided a cloud to lead uh, the people of Israel through the wilderness and to guide them in every direction and how they were to follow that cloud. We even recognize how that's the same thing for us today, that the Spirit of God has been given to us, that we're to follow the Spirit of God in our lives and in every direction that He leads. But in order to do so, we must be looking towards the Spirit. And we also discuss the 12 spies and how Israel failed to live by faith and enter the promised land, and instead they... The, first, the older generation would not enter into the promised land because they lived in unbelief. And then lastly, last week, we also talked about how Israel, Israel had rebelled time and time again against God and grumbled and complained, and yet time and time again God would judge them. But every time He had judged them, He always would supply a way of deliverance and hope for them and forgive them. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to start off in Numbers 20 through 21 in particular, and we're going to talk about Moses, how he strikes the rock, and the bronze serpent. So let me go ahead and read to you Numbers 22 through 9. It says, Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. And then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So the story just starts off here. The Israelites, they're already back to the same thing they've been doing time and time again, is they're grumbling and complaining. They're ungrateful to God in a sense like they, he's delivered them, he's rescued them, and they find themselves ungrateful and complaining against what God, where God has brought them. But the honest truth is where they're at now is their own hands and their own doing. They were the ones that desired not to live in faith, and they were the ones who said they could not go into the promised land. They could not overcome the giants, and so they've gotten what they wanted. And now they're still complaining against God, even though they've been given exactly what they asked God to do. And I think it's kind of funny. This really is a picture of of how we even do things in our own lives. Um, God gives us what we want, and then we complain to God about it. And it's an example for us to think about that. You know, when God gives us the very thing we want and we start complaining, we need to recognize that it was our own doing and, and repent. And these people don't do so here. But anyway... So the story is that they're back, you know, they're in the wilderness, they're grumbling and complaining about lack of water. And, then, and we know that God speaks to Moses and Aaron and tells them to speak to the rock. And, and instead, earlier in, the, in this Bible, 
We saw how Moses struck the rock by God's instruction and the water gushed out. Well, this time God tells Moses to speak to the rock and it will gush out water. But we see clearly, or we're about to see, that Aaron and Moses disobeyed the command of the Lord here. Up until this point, all you see is that it's the people's sin. Moses doesn't seem to be doing anything wrong. But one of the interesting things about what happens right before this is Moses had just lost his sister. His sister had just died. And so I'm sure Moses at this point in the journey, he's worried. He's tired. He's worn out. His sister has died. He's probably saddened by this and all these things. But here he is, and he's about to do something that he sins against God. And so Numbers 20, 10 through 11, it says, And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, just as they were commanded, right? And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. One of the things that is so significant about this is how Moses addressed the people of God here. He says, hear now, you rebels. And what I think is significant is that even in the previous encounters with these rebellious people, Moses would bring a stern rebuke when he needed to. But it seems to be in this case is that he addresses them with an attitude that even shows his own heart to be filled with anger and bitterness for the people of God, as if his heart is bitter. And so even Moses in this sense, it's like, he's dealing with some things in his home life. And it could be from the hurt that just happened. But one of the things that we see is that Moses says to them, are we supposed to bring water from this rock? Like, like look what now we're going to have to do. We're going to have to bring water from this rock. When the truth is, God never said, Moses, you're the one to bring the water. I'm the one that's going to do it. Um, you just speak to it, but I'm going to bring the water out. And it's like Moses is taking upon himself that this is his job now. When truthfully, God is the one who has still led the people through. And so Moses disobeys. We see God told him to speak to it, but he strikes the rock twice. Um, and, and I don't have time to get into all this, but there's a beautiful picture. And there's a sermon you can go back and look at that Brennan Trott preached at our church about the striking of the rock twice versus being struck once and how that represents Christ and striking the body. And that's a side thing. But go find that sermon and it'll even expound on this a little bit more. But for the sake of time, we're going to move on to it. So verses 12 to 13 says this. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given to them. Moses and Aaron, or particularly Moses, at this point, Moses has been the the obedient, faithful servant of God all through this. And no, is Moses perfect by no means, but he has been faithful and unwavering in his faithfulness to God. And this is the first time where we see the Lord bring a judgment against Moses. And basically the judgment is this. You've acted as the older generation. So you have to remember at this point in the story is that we had the older generation who would be promised that they would not enter in and the new generation who would be let in and who God would let come into the promised land or lead them into the promised land. And Moses had not been of the older generation, though he may have by physically above age, he had not acted as the older generation was. And the way the writers, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about the older generation and the, the rest of the writers of the Bible talk about the older generation, the thing that characterizes them the most was that they were filled with unbelief and what God says is the crime or or the sin that Moses has committed is this is that you did not believe me 
meaning you and Aaron have also now entered into the pattern or the characteristic of the older generation, which is this is this one of unbelief. And because of that, you have not upheld me as holy or hallowed in the eyes of the people of Israel. And so he cast this judgment upon Moses and Aaron saying, you will not enter into the, the promised land. And guys, to be honest with you, when you naturally read this, it's kind of hard. You look at Moses and he's such an amazing character, such a godly character. And you look at him and it's like, that just doesn't seem fair. You know, it's like he's been so faithful, God. He's led your people. He's dealt with these grumbling, whining people all along. And in a natural sense, you would almost feel like, God, it just doesn't seem fair. How, how could this happen, right? But the truth is, is God knows and God's wisdom is so much greater than mine. And I don't have the right to judge this. God is the one who knew what was best. And God was the one who knew that Moses had sinned. And yet, and so because of that, we cannot sit here and say, you know, Moses did this or that. Who am I to judge God's actions? Who am I to proclaim that God is wrong and that I am right? I am just a mere man and so are you. And God casted this judgment on Moses. And I do believe part of it is because he was the leader of the people. That his, his punishment was harsh in that sense. And so it's like we see Moses has now been joined in to the older generation where he's been characterized by unbelief and not just with unbelief, but that he will not enter into the promised land with the older generation. God is still good to him, still kind to him, and that he shows him from a mountaintop the promised land. And we know that Moses is in heaven and he's with the Lord. And he even makes an appearance in the New Testament on the, um, the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. But he does not enter in and he did not trust in God's holiness and he lived and he, and he acted in a moment of unbelief here like the older generation. And so the story moves on that you see this judgment. And, and the whole reason it's, it's doing this is because it's shifting. The story is shifting from Numbers 20 to 21. It's kind of shifting from the older generation to the newer generation, the generation that is going to go into the promised land. And Moses is part of this older generation, and so is Aaron. And that's why it's shifting where the focus isn't as much on Moses and Aaron as it's going to start becoming upon the newer generation. And even Joshua will see make an appearance here. So what Moses does is he sends some messengers to the city of Kadesh to see if they could pass through their city on their way to the promised land of Canaan. Um, and God did not tell them to do this, and their passage is refused and denied. And it seems like everything's starting to break down. Things aren't going so well. Aaron is, is judged along with Moses, and in fact, he, he passes away. He's stripped of his garments. His son takes his place. And we see this shifting from the older generation to the younger generation. And so what chapter 21 reveals to us, it kind of reveals to us like Israel's obeying God's voice now, and what they're doing is succeeding. They're defeating massive armies, they're capturing cities, and they're marching on their way towards the promised land. It's like the new generation's leading and doing things right. But then we see a great sin occur. We see the same thing happen again. And it's Numbers 21, 4 through 9. It says this, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around to the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. It's just the same thing again and again. And the people spoke against God and, and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there was no food and no water. And we loathed this worthless food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the Lord came to Moses and said, We have sinned. 
I'm sorry. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, and when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bite anyone, he would look at the serpent and live. So it's like in the midst of all this success, right? They're having this success. They're, they're winning battles. They're doing these things. The older generation grumbles yet once again, and God brings punishment. And, he, and, and, and that's what you see happening again and again in the, the story of Numbers, is that the people of God grumble and complain. God brings a judgment upon them, and then God delivers them, or they repent, and God saves them every time, right? But God is not going to allow these people just to grumble and complain against Him. He does deal with these things. And He does so in this case where He sends these poisonous snakes that they would bite the people, and that they, they would the people would die from these, these snakes, right? And so the people confess their sins in this situation and they begin to confess and they ask Moses, would you make intercession for us to stop the snakes? And I, I would just want to pause and say how significant this is to me that Moses, who was not going to enter the promised land, he did not abandon the people of God in that. Though he was he just told in Numbers 20, look, you're not going to enter in. He didn't abandon them. He still loved these people. And it was like in his heart, and you're definitely going to see it in the book of Deuteronomy. It's like in his heart, it's like, I still want y'all to go to the promised land. Though I'm not going to be able to enter in, I'm going to lead you to. I'm going to lead you to it as best as I can. And he leads them, and he even makes intercession for these people. And these are the people that have, in a sense, you would think Moses could blame them for his mistake. But he never blames them. He never argues with God. He agrees with God's punishment in his own life. And he doesn't blame these people. And instead, he intercedes for these people here. And so Moses does craft a bronze serpent, as God tells him to. And and the, the people that would look towards this bronze serpent would not die but lived. And one of the neat things about this imagery here, or this serpent, is that bronze represented judgment. Okay, and so it's like the serpent. They would he'd get this bronze rod or bronze staff, right? That they would put up, and then the serpent would be wrapped around it on this pole. And, and what this represented was that the serpent was being judged, right? And so sin was being judged in this sense. And anyone who looked onto this, this, this sin that's being judged would have life. Um, and they'd receive life from looking on this. And this is exactly what Jesus says about himself in John 3, 14 and 15. It says that Jesus said this about himself, right? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And these are the verses that precede the most famous verse of all in the Bible, John 3.16. Is that just as Moses lifted up that serpent, which brought life to people, there was a plague going around, killing people. People were dying of these snake bites. That as the serpent was lifted up, people... Right? And, and that there was a judgment on this pole to say that anyone who looked on it would be saved. Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross and judged for our sin, the wrath of God put upon him. It's just beautiful. The wrath of God that was put upon him and judged anyone who would look to that man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that man would have eternal life. We would have eternal life. And so just as Moses lifted up the serpent, Jesus says that he is like that bronze serpent who he too will be lifted up on the cross. 
And anyone who looks to him will receive life, eternal life. Not just life in this, in this moment on earth, but eternal life forever. So when we do look to Jesus and believe on him, just like the snakes that represented the sin and, and death that would kill these people, we can now have life. And just like even the water that would come out of the rock that we saw in, in Numbers 20, Jesus is the fresh water in the wilderness. He is the life for the people. The Bible even tells us in Corinthians how Jesus was the fulfillment of the rock in the wilderness and that he was struck like the rock to provide abundantly for grumbling people who don't deserve it. The honest truth is this. We deserve the punishment that came to Aaron and Moses and to the older generation. And, and we're just like them. But God sent his son into the world to raise up a new generation. And this new generation would enter into the promised land. And they would not perish in the wilderness, but they would go into the promised land. And that new generation are we included in because of Jesus Christ and His work. And so if we trust in Jesus, as we look to Jesus, we will be part of that new generation that is defined with truth and love and that will enter into the final rest, the final promised land with God and, and His kingdom one day. And one of the things I was thinking about just in this passage that I think is really good for us to consider is in John 3, 14-15 when Jesus said, As Moses lifted up in the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. We're living in a day right now where, I mean, you look around with this whole virus scare, people are dying, economies are being destroyed, people are losing jobs, people can't pay things. This is the hour that Christ must be lifted up, my friends. We do not have time to play games. We do not have times not to lift Jesus up. We must point all men to Jesus. And just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness so that people could live, we must lift up Christ so that the world around us can receive eternal life. And so where you're placed right now, maybe you're in your home and you're thinking, well, I'm quarantined in my home or you know, we're social distancing, we can't get out. God revealed to us, and that's my prayer right now, God as a church, God as the church that is your people, we know we must lift the Son of Man up. We must lift Christ up for the world to see. Give us wisdom, not earthly wisdom, not sensual wisdom, not even wisdom that would appear good, but godly wisdom on how to lift you up. So who could believe in you? could have eternal life. And church, that's my cry to you, is that we are living this day where people are afraid. Lift Christ up. Make Him be seen some way, some form or fashion. Ask God to show you and give you the wisdom. I want the world to be seen because there is a plague that is going around. And it's not just a virus, but it's sin. And it is so much weightier than the virus that is attacking this earth. It is sin that leads to damnation and death. And the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so I ask you to consider and to think about that. How can God, how can God use me to lift up the Son of Man so that men might receive eternal life? So we're going to jump to Numbers 23 through 26, and we're going to talk about Balaam and Balak and how God fights for his people. And what I love about this story is there's really just three characters in this story. There's Balaam, Balak, and God. All right, And so the story moves on where essentially... The people of Israel, and this is Numbers 22, it says the people of Israel set out and camped in the, in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And so what's happened is they're just camped down and they're in their, their formations like they were supposed to be, like we talked about last week. And they're, they're camped in this place 
And above them goes on this great, awesome battle. And, and I wouldn't say not a physical battle, but a battle in a sense where God is fighting for his people. And what happens, and, and there's so much we could read all this, and I, I, don't have, I don't want to spend too much time reading it all, but I'm going to do my best to summarize it, is that there is a man named Balak, who is a, he's a leader and he's a king. And, and, he's, and look, he's leader of the Moabites, and he's in dread, right? Um, he's in dread of the people of God. And because there's so many of them, and he has heard about what they have done. And it says that they have been overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And they realize that these people are going to come, and they're going to destroy everything we have. They're going to take what we have. And so what Balak decides to do is he sends word to a, a seer or a prophet named Balaam. And this man, Balaam, is, is very respected, and, he's, and they pay him lots of money to come and to cast curses or blessings on people. And so Balak decides, I'm going to get Balaam to curse the people of God, Israel, because I can't beat them in myself. And so I need Balaam to come. And this is really significant because what he does here is he, he brings him, and I think one thing we hear, we've heard the story growing up, and I think a lot of people emphasize the donkey part. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but the point of the story is not about a talking donkey. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that God fights for His people, and He even does so. He even is willing to use a talking donkey to do so. Is really what the story is about. But what happens here is He sends so Balak sends for Balaam, and in doing so. He asked Balaam to curse, and this is what he says. Chapter 22 and verse 9. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Sippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. Right, This is Israel. And it covers the faith of the earth. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So what has happened here is up until this point, what we have to remember is up until this point, what do we know about the Israelites? They grumble, they complain, and they whine, and they get mad at God, and they're not good people, okay? But they're the people of God, and God calls them blessed. God has said they're my people. Yes, they grumble and complain. Yes, they're not perfect. Yes, they haven't done things, everything I want them to. But they're my people. And I am faithful to my promise. And my promise is this, is that I have blessed them. I, had, I told Abraham that his lineage and his people would be blessed all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 3. And that I would bless them so that they could be a blessing to all the world. I love how it said, and Moab was in great dread because of the people. There were many. They were overcome with fear, right? And so he's just, they're, they're afraid. Balak and his people are afraid. And so they attempt to try to curse through Balaam. But God says, this will not happen. And then let me read to you. Let's skip to Numbers 23, 13 through 24, just pieces of it. It says, and Balak said to him, please come with me to another place from which you may see them. So here's the picture. They're all the people of Israel in the plains and in the mountains around them as they're looking down. That's where Balak, Balaam, and God and everything is going on up there. The people of Israel are completely unaware of what's happening in the mountains. They're unaware that anything's going on. They don't know that there's somebody trying to put a curse upon them. They just know that all they've done is they've completely and they've whined things have happened and they've had serpents and you know oh gosh i just wish i could go back to egypt but 
in the midst of all this, there is a prophet who is trying to curse them through them, and, and Balak is trying to pursue him to do this, right? So he tells him, you know, only see some of them. And so he says this in 17, and he came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering. And so it's like Balak says, Balaam, come, or Balaam says, Balak, come, let's build a burnt offering and there I'll meet with the Lord. And when I do so, the Lord will give me a word. And it's like Balak is like waiting right next to Balaam. And it's like, he's almost saying like, yeah, okay, what, what, what did God say? Let's get him. Let's curse him. And this is what he says in verse 17. And he came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, I love this. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Sippor. God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke. He has not withheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their heir God is with them and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. There is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God brought? Behold a people as a lioness rises up, as a lion it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and the drunk in the blood of the slain. What's so amazing about this passage is what Balaam says here is that God's presence is with his people. He actually says the word, the Lord their God is with them and the shout of a king is among them. And what's significant about this that's so cool is that in the Eastern religions that Balak would have followed and all the other uh, people of that day is that the gods were flaky. That's how they were characterized. They would abandon their people back and forth on and off again. And then number one thing is that they did not dwell with their people because if they did, they would, well, they couldn't, they couldn't, they were too flaky there back and forth. They just did not dwell with their people. But the way that Balaam speaks here, this discourse, he says is that God, Yahweh does dwell with his people. He is a king among them and he is with their people and he's not flaky. Has he not said? He does not change his mind. He will not go back on his promise. He has promised to be with these people. These are his people and he loves them. And so it's so magnificent because we see this rebellious people complaining and yet God is in the mountains above them protecting them, completely protecting them. It's just a, it's an awesome picture because it shows they're oblivious to all this. They're oblivious to it. They have no idea what's going on. And they certainly don't deserve God to bless them or fight for them like this. But he does because he loves them. And they're his people. And y'all, this is a perfect picture for us. This is the picture for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, speaking of Jesus, he's, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. And even Hebrews talks about how he is making constant intercession for those, for us. Isn't this what's happening here? It's like these three characters, Balak, Balaam, and God. And Balak's trying to curse. Balaam is the middle person, what's going to be spoken through. And God's over there fighting for his people while they're not doing good, while they're not obedient, while they're not this. But he loves them and they're his people. And no matter what Balak or Balaam tries to do, God will not allow them to be cursed. But in fact, what the story goes on to do is Balak gets upset with Balaam because he not just he doesn't just not curse, he actually ends up blessing God's people in the story. And it's like what, what Satan or what Balak tries to do to destroy God's people, God uses to even bless them. And it's the same with us in our own lives. Y'all, Satan has come against us and he's brought plans against us and he's trying to destroy our lives and bring us down. But... 
God's faithfulness. God has called us His children. And while we might we might not even be faithful to God, we might be like the Israelites. We might be messing up. Maybe you're sitting here like, I haven't sought the Lord like I should have. I haven't prayed like I should have. I haven't been as good as I want to be and faithful to the Lord as I desire to be. Well, guess what? God has not abandoned you. And even right now, there are battles going on around you that you're oblivious to, that God is fighting for you. So this is what Romans 8, 31 through 35 says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us, church? What, what we're oblivious to, what is happening to our lives, God is for us. So who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall not tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This is our story. There are battles that are raging on around us just like the Israelites. Maybe we're in the plains and there's mountains around us and there are battles that are happening that we are completely unaware of going on. But there is a God, there is a Jesus Christ who is interceding for us right now during these battles and stopping any type of Balak or Balaam to curse us. But in the means of what they're trying to do to us, God is going to bring about blessing in our lives. And why? It's because we're his people. And it's because he loves us and he cares for us and he has called us his own. God is so good. And the story should remind us that, look, while these things are going on, the Israelites are unfaithful. God is still fighting for them because they're his people and he loves them. It's the same for us. While I may not be perfect, while I may be messing up, God is fighting my battles. God fights for me. God is on my behalf. So maybe you're sitting at home tonight and you just downcast. God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you right now. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the situation at hand. God is fighting for you. You are not alone, Christian. You are with the, you're with the Son of God. He is with you in the midst of this. And He's fighting on your behalf. He is slaying the enemies for you. He is winning the battle for you. And you stand firm in Him. Stand firm in Him. And you being a son. You becoming a son, as God has said, that we, have, we all become sons and daughters through His Son, Jesus Christ. So for the last part of this episode, we want to cover Numbers 32. And I asked Andrew Wilkes to join me on this. And if you know, Andrew has his own podcast, Theology on Fire, with his wife Leah. And it's excellent. And one of the things that he posted about this was in regards to number 32, how he got some encouragement from that. And I really wanted him to share what the Lord showed him in this to close out this week's episode. Amen. So whenever we go to Numbers 32, read some scripture here. It says, Now the people of Reuben and people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead. And behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation. And skipping down to verse 5, it says, And they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to us. To your servants for possession, do not take us across the Jordan. And right here, Moses gets really upset because in his mind, and rightly so, he's just seen so much rebellion from the people of Israel. Mm. And he's just wondering, like, what are you doing? This is what your fathers did. And look, we just went 40 years in the desert, and here you are doing the same thing. And I don't know what spirit that the people of Reuben and Gad said this, but then they come back, and this is what they say. In verse 16, These men from these tribes come to Moses and they say, 
Look, we want to build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms, Mm. ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Mm. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. Then Moses says, if you'll do this, then you can have this land. And it really spoke to me, you know, in Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has ordered works for each one of us. And even during this time, the application of this is simple. We are in a time right now where we have lots of free time on our hands. Work is slowed down. School is slowed down. What are we doing to advance the kingdom of God in others' lives? I had two brothers. I had Felix and a brother named Patrick come over to my house. I was working on a fence, and I have two little ones. <laughs> and and you'd say, oh, a fence, how is that very spiritual? But whenever you're constantly stressed, trying to run after your kids all the time, it makes a difference. They came over. I was working alone, and they helped me. They strengthened my hands. They took the free time that they had to assist me. And because they've assisted me, I've been able to do even more spiritual work. And the stress in my life has been lowered. So what are you doing right now to carry the burdens of your brothers and sisters? What are you doing right now? I would just encourage you to stop and just to pray and say, God, please show me what I can do to help a brother or sister. And I believe we'll be surprised what God will put on our hearts and how we can know the joy of bringing our brothers and sisters through their battles, through prayer and through help. Amen. And it was really that line that Andrew said that really caught my attention when he said, helping our brothers and sisters through their battles. And that's what Scripture teaches us to be and do as Christians, is to bear one another's burdens and to help each other. And then this is such an example. That's what these people did. They continued with their brothers to conquer the promised land before they ever settled themselves. Their men went to war and they did what they needed to do to help their brothers and sisters. And so just as we go through our week and we go through our lives, like Andrew's saying with this virus and everything going on, how can we be used to help our brothers and sisters overcome the battles they're facing? How can we build their faith? What can we do? Is it just a, a, a you know an event or something I do in the physical? Or is it prayer, whatever it might be? Is it giving? Just ask the Lord to show you, God, help me to help my brothers and sisters through the battles that they're fighting so that their faith can be built. So I just want to thank Andrew for that and for joining us for a short period on this. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope it blessed you. I hope it encouraged you. And uh, we love you all and we thank you all so much for tuning in and hope to see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.